0: Well, it would be great if you could have your Bibles open to Daniel chapter 5 as we're in our penultimate week in our series in Daniel. And there's an outline on the back of the news sheet if you would find that helpful to follow along with. Uh, Let's pray as we get stuck in. Gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you're a holy, awesome God and yet you have made yourself known to us. So, gracious Lord, we pray that this morning, as we look at this passage in Daniel, that you'll just do that, that you'll make yourself known to us through your word, that your spirit will be at work in our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, a few years ago, while I was living in Noosa still, my car battery became flat. So I asked my dad if I could borrow his car to drive on down. Uh, He said yes. Uh, but then mentioned that when I got home, just to leave the car out the front of the garage, don't bother backing it in because it's not that easy. Uh, Now, all was well until I came home and backed this Ford Falcon up the driveway. And I opened up the garage, and looking in, I thought, how hard could this be? So I started backing in and backing in and backing in until crunch. Uh, I'd hit quite a rugged toolbox which was hanging off the edge of a bench, which left quite a significant dent in the boot of Dad's nice car. Uh, In my pride and my arrogance, I thought that I could do anything in my three years of driving experience, but I was humbled pretty quickly. My pride didn't work for me. Now, last week, we saw that Nebuchadnezzar's pride and arrogance didn't work for him either. Uh, It led to him being humbled by God by being transformed into being like an animal until he turned away from his pride. This week, uh, we'll see probably Nebuchadnezzar's grandson step up to the plate. So what will he do? Will he learn from the previous king's mistakes? Will he be humble before the real king, Yahweh? Yahweh? Well, no, he won't. And once again, we'll see that our Lord cannot be approached with pride, won't tolerate being mocked, but that it's only in humility and weakness that we can approach him. So then, in Babylon, a few things have happened. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has died. Uh, Then another king has stepped up to the plate, only to be assassinated. Uh, Then there was another king with a short tenure, and now King Belshazzar has ended up on the throne. He's probably Nebuchadnezzar's grandson. Uh, when we see terms like father and son in this passage, it's probably a reference to him being like a descendant, like a person of Israel would call Abraham their father. But also at this point, Babylon's strength is waning. Uh, it's about 5039, uh, 539 BC. Uh, the Persians are in place to take the city they were known to be pretty crafty in their, in their workmanship, and not even the big walls of Babylon were too much for them. So then on this day, the king throws a party, a party of grandeur and of pride. So would you look with me at chapter 5, verse 1. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar his father had taken from the temple in Jerusalem so that the king and his nobles, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. So, this party wouldn't have been just a little drinks and nibbles with some party pies. No, this is the full on experience. It's dripping with opulence, it's saturated with wealth, it's highlighting the pride of the king. And in his most probably intoxicated state, he has the bright idea of bringing in some more cups. Uh, Not just any ordinary cups, though. Uh, These are the goblets taken from the temple in Jerusalem that were set apart to be used for the worship of God. Uh, If you've read any of the books of Exodus or Leviticus or Numbers, you'll remember all the various restrictions and regulations that were given for the proper worship of God, because God is a holy God. He's not like us. And so in his graciousness, he gave his people a way to worship him that involved these cups. It's not like there's anything extra spiritual or magical about them, or that God somehow magically lived in them. No, it's just that they were set apart for the purpose of worshipping God. So now, Belshazzar brings them in Or his wives and his concubines to drink out of. And then as they drank, they praised the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They're mocking God. They're insulting his name. They worship the gods that they made with their own hands, with the objects that were to be used with the worship of the living God. This king is totally, extremely arrogant. Now, these days, uh, we may not have a temple or any kings hosting great big banquets, at least here in Australia anyway. But you don't have to look too far in the world to see people mocking God. Uh, all you need to do is have a brief glance at social media. Not that I recommend doing so. But you see people referring to God as a giant sky daddy or saying that faith is just a crutch for the weak. And believe me, that's the PG version. It gets a lot worse. We can sadly see this pride and arrogance by some people who call themselves followers of Jesus in totally ignoring his cause to be humble, to take up their cross and follow him but rather they live in extravagant mansions and extort the poor and thrive off the huge donations of their rich friends. It's arrogant. It's mocking the only holy God. And this is the world that we live in. So what is God going to do about it? Well, for the case of Belshazzar, he brings him to his knees quite literally. Look with me at chapter 5, verse Five. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster on the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale, and so, he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Now, back in school, I wasn't particularly athletic, so the thoughts of any athletics carnivals or cross-country races or, lo and behold, swimming carnivals put a knot in my stomach, and made me extremely weak at the knees. Similar thing happened here as the king, as he watched the hand appear right next to the lampstand so he couldn't miss it. The colour drained from his face, and some commentators say that he wet himself. So he brings in the magical gurus of Babylon. And lo and behold, just like the two times before when they've tried and done this, they can never make neither head nor tail of the writing so then the king becomes even more scared even more color drains from his face other uh, things of this world couldn't save him he's used to calling the shots he's used to having things just as he wants them but they just aren't working he's terrified and his power is gone he's humiliated but then the queen steps in, or probably most probably the queen's mother. She refers Belshazzar to events in Nebuchadnezzar's time. She tells him about a bloke who could be useful. He apparently, from verse 11, has the spirit of the living gods in him and was found to have intelligence and wisdom like that of the gods. There's something particular about this person, and his name is Daniel. So then, Daniel is brought before the king. Uh, The king has a bit of a dig at Daniel for being an exile, but then offers Daniel more riches and more power and more authority. Now, we've got to remember here that at this stage, Daniel isn't the bright-eyed teenager that we uh, met in chapter 1. By this stage, he's probably 80. Uh, He's seen some things. He's been living under Babylonian rule for about 60 years. So he's been the head of other spiritual people in the nation. He's avoided being killed by interpreting dreams. He's seen his mates come out of the fiery furnace untouched and has seen Nebuchadnezzar be absolutely humiliated in the previous chapter. He's been there for all of that. He's been there seeing that at every corner and twist and turn that Yahweh has come out on top. And we've seen that he is the one with true power and authority. So then, how is Daniel going to act in the face of this prideful king who is mocking God? If I was in this situation, it would be so tempting to do the immature thing and may not answer the question or probably counter his pride with a snarky remark or something like that. No, but thankfully, in the face of the arrogance of the world... Daniel is still humble and acts as God's servant. He acts with integrity, entrusting the character and the judgment of the Lord. So see with me from verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts to yourself and give your awards to someone else. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Uh, He doesn't care about possessions or rewards. He's not doing this for the money or even for his own enjoyment. He's doing this purely for God. Uh, What a model for us on our front lines when faced with arrogance. So he starts off by giving Belshazzar a bit of a history lesson about his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He recalls how in verse 18, how the Most High God gave him sovereignty, greatness, and glory, and splendor. Uh, The only way that Nebuchadnezzar got to where he was as king was because of the one true God. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar would be nothing without God. But as we saw last week, his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride. So God humbled him until he turned and acknowledged God for who he was. Now, there's a saying about history, which I'm sure we all well know, that those who forget their history are bound to repeat it. If we don't learn from the same mistakes that humanity has made, then we'll most probably make them ourselves. Now, it seems here that Belshazzar hasn't just forgotten about his history, but he's blatantly ignoring it. Uh, Daniel points the spotlight right at Belshazzar in verse 22. But you, Belshazzar his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all of this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. He knew all the events before, and yet he has no humility in his actions. He has set himself against Yahweh. But here is what we learn from the end of verse 23 that our God isn't just in power over the nations and only on the grand scale. No, he's the Lord and King of the details as well. There's a kid's song which says that he's got the whole world in his hands. He does. And he also holds our lives in his hands. All our lives. All our ways. Every breath that we breathe is because he says so. Everything that comes our way or comes over our desk, work, work. Because he says so. He's got the final say over us and Balthazar, even though he didn't recognize it. So the appropriate response to our loving God isn't pride or arrogance, but humility. Acknowledging that he is God and we're not. Acknowledging that his ways are better than our ways. That his will is to be done in our lives and submitting ourselves to him. So then, what is it that's got Belshazzar so worried about? Well, this is what Daniel says from verse 25 when interpreting the words on the wall it says, Meeny, Meeny, Tekel, Parson. So, Meeny. Belshazzar's days as king are numbered. God is going to bring them to an end. And not just his reign, but as we'll see shortly, his very own life is at stake here. Notice it's written twice for him to pay attention. Uh, Tekel, Belshazzar is a lightweight. He's been put on the scales and has been found wanting. He's really just a bit of a disappointment. No substance. Then Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. The house of cards is about to come crashing down. The timer is about to reach zero. Belshazzar, it's all over for you, buddy. Uh, Daniel doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't put a positive spin on things to make it sound better or more digestible. No, he just tells the truth of what God is going to do and how God is going to bring judgment on Belshazzar and Babylon. So then how does Belshazzar respond? Well, there's no real response recorded, is there? (laughs) Other than giving Daniel all the riches and placing him in great authority. That the humble Daniel was exalted and lifted up. But then, if you glance down at verse 30, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain. And Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. It's always like a footnote, isn't it? Judgment was swift, the arrogant one was humbled. Babylon was defeated, just as prophesied about in Isaiah and Jeremiah. And in just a few years' time, the exiles are going to be sent home to rebuild the land. See, arrogance and pride before God just won't work. Sometimes you may hear people in the world say things like, uh, who is God to say what I can and can't do? It's just a bit of a big cosmic spoil sport. Or things like, I don't need anybody else to tell me how to rule my life. I just need to reach my full potential. Uh, And the heart of this is pride. It's me, 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 me. See, ignorance of God and ignorance of his authority is like... A toddler ignoring their parent who provides for their every need. It's like telling God that we don't need him when in fact we actually do need him. And if you haven't noticed it yet, well, we're all like this at times in our lives, aren't we? I know that I am. Thinking that I can do this life in my own strength, Uh, thinking that I can be perfect. Uh, when in fact I'm not and I can't be? Thinking that I'm so much better than other people? Pride and arrogance rears its ugly head far too often. It may not be as blatantly obvious as Belshazzar, but it's just as real. And this deserves punishment. It's what I deserve. It's what all of humanity deserves, just like Belshazzar. But God in his utter love and compassion and graciousness has made a way not for us to only just avoid judgment but to be brought back into relationship with him. All we can do is approach him with humility. Ask for forgiveness when we've acted pridefully and commit to living for him. And because of Jesus, who took on the nature of a servant, who became nothing, who in complete humility went to the cross to take our punishment, all will be forgiven. And then there will come a day when those who have exalted themselves against God, when those who have hardened their hearts in pride those who have mocked God and mocked those who follow him who haven't repented they will be judged. They will be brought to justice. But until that day we can live in quiet humility in hope in confidence knowing that God holds us in his hand, knowing that if the world mocks God or mocks us for following God, we don't have to retaliate, but rather just turn the other cheek. Knowing that God is the one who holds all the days of our lives in his hand and that he'll have the final say and that he rules. Even over the most godless of front lines, Jesus once told a story about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One man was a religious leader. He walked right up to the front and he praised himself. Saying, "God, I'm awesome. I thank you so much that I'm not like other people. Especially not that, like that tax collector over there. God, you are so lucky to have me on your team, buddy." The other man, the tax collector, shuffled into the back row, fell on his knees, head hung low, beat his chest, saying, God, have mercy on me. A sinner. Who went home right before God? The tax collector. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. When I hopped out of Dad's car and examined the damage that I had made, I was absolutely livid with myself. I was so angry. I was so furious for being such a prideful buffoon. But after i had collected my thoughts, I called Dad, explained what happened, apologized profusely, but even without seeing the damage, he said, it's all right, I forgive you. We'll get it sorted. And all that shame and all that anger and all that guilt, totally gone. Now, friends, we can have this, but on a much grander scale, (laughs) with our Heavenly Father, by simply coming to Him with humility, just like the tax collector. If you haven't yet done that, today is a great day to do so, (laughs) because pride won't work, weakness is the way. So let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, how we thank you so much that you are compassionate, that you are loving, that you are gracious, and that you are a holy, awesome God. Lord, help us not to have pride, but to have humility. Lord, help us in our weakness to look to you. Help us to be content with what you have given us. Help us to serve you and you alone. And Lord, may we conduct ourselves so well on our front lines that your glory shines forth in us. I'm going to ask this in your name. Amen.